Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Perhaps you saw the news story this week about the opening of a 50-year-old time capsule in Derry, New Hampshire, but which turned out when it was open to be completely empty. And nobody knows why or whatever happened to its contents. Talk about your unsolved mystery. Well, that story actually brought forth for me a fond memory of another time capsule, this one unearthed back in 1989, as the church in Maine I was serving at the time was approaching its 200th anniversary year. This particular time capsule was a tin box with a soldered lid that had been placed in the cornerstone of their newly rebuilt church well over a hundred years before. It had also been subsequently misplaced, as both the church and the town grew up around it over the years, and was actually thought to be lost forever. That is, until a colorful, rather grizzled, and self-proclaimed treasure hunter came to us, and made it his mission to make sure that that which was once lost would soon be found. We were skeptical, to say the very least, but found it he did. And when finally, a few months later, we came together as a congregation to open that box, it was a major media event. All three of the local television news outlets sent their camera crews, the church historian and I were interviewed on the evening news, and there was at least one local reporter who treated this question of what's in the box pretty much on the same level as another media mystery of that era, the contents of Al Capone's vault. Thankfully, in the end, our time capsule was not empty, but turned out to be filled with everything you might expect. Coins and mementos from the church's life from the late 1800s, old, moldy newspapers from the same era, along with things like a playbill from a music concert held down the street at the local opera house. And perhaps most interesting of all, historically speaking, a molten fragment of a church bell, a bell that was fashioned by none other than metalsmith and infamous American patriot Paul Revere, part of the bell that had been destroyed in the same fire that had brought down their first house of worship. It was, as I remember it, very exciting, and it was a whole lot of fun to be a part of cracking open that little receptacle of history. And yet I also recall feeling a little let down after the big reveal. Looking back, I'm not sure exactly what I was expecting to be inside that small tin box, but I do know that what I wanted was to have some kind of glimpse of what life must have been like for that particular group of church people way back in 1883 or thereabouts. For instance, I wondered, what had the pastor preached on that Sunday before this historic marker was set in place? Were his words that day powerful and inspiring? Or did his earnest attempt to interpret the word of God simply fall flat on a dozen congregation? Was there a well-loved hymn sung that morning? And how was their singing? What did they pray for? And did they feel as though God had answered them? See, ultimately, what I really wanted to know were things like how many children were sitting there with their parents, how they were dressed, and 
how wiggly and unwilling they became in trying to stay still and quiet while perched on those hard, straight-back pews. I wondered about what kind of mission outreach they were doing in those days as a congregation. In those days in that particular town, they were known as a temperance church, and it was a river town filled with saloons, so you do the math. And I also wondered, given that they were building this new church, whether the membership might have been chafing just a bit of at the thought of having to raise even more money to complete the job. And wouldn't any of us been curious to know what other topics of conversation there were amongst those parishioners on Sunday afternoon after the service was done? Even all these years later, at least one inquiring mind wanted to know. I suppose I do wonder about these things because while they are rarely included in church records, Even today, such matters represent part and parcel of our daily life as the people of God gathered together as the church. And moreover, it's our history. How very good and pleasant it is, sang the psalmist, when kindred hearts live together in unity. And so it has been and continues to be for us. Indeed, the choice of a hymn, be it one familiar or one heretofore unknown, or the subject of the pastor's sermon on any given Sunday morning, though it might not be the most memorable detail of a church's story. But the joy with which those people sang that particular hymn, what they received from God's word that day, because of or maybe in spite of the pastor's homiletics, and how the Holy Spirit moved in and through their lives that day, well, that certainly is important to the church's story because it's there in such moments of worship and praise. As the psalmist also sang, the Lord ordained his blessing. At our worship service this past Sunday at East Church, we included a rather impromptu children's ministry in which one of our young kids, together with yours truly, led the whole congregation in a spirited version of Father Abraham. You know the one. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Yeah, that song. And we did it complete with the requisite hand and foot movements. And it resulted in a small but sublimely silly moment. But I'll tell you something else. It served as a reminder to one and all, no matter how old we happen to be, that we're all God's children, having been lovingly welcomed as part of a family of faith as vast as the stars in the sky or as many as the grains of sand on the seashore, and that we're gathered as the church. And when we're gathered as a church, we are called to live out of that same grace-filled love and extravagant welcome as we care for one another and as we reach out to the world. I like to think that these little moments amount to more than mere lip service, and that years from now, long after our services of worship are done, and the bulletins have been thrown away, and and all the details of a children's ministry has faded into memory, that there will remain still this community of strong, loving, giving people whose deep Christian faith 
was first nurtured amongst a group of wonderfully caring church people whose love of God and Jesus Christ was palpable in everything that they were, and who inspired those who followed to bring that same level of love, joy, and faith to their own children. Because ultimately, friends, that's the best kind of time capsule we can ever create and the finest legacy we can ever provide to the next generations of the faithful. So might it be. And that's it for another installment of Love to Tell the Story. I'm Michael Lowry. Thanks for listening. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.